Starting off with a couple of recommendations, we are talking about spiritual disciplines, so spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. There's probably a bunch of you in here that knew this was coming as soon as I said, <laughs> said spiritual disciplines. I highly recommend uh, buying this book uh, in whatever format you're going to read it in, if that's Kindle or paper or whatever. But in addition to that, getting the audiobook. And the reason, and they just redid, I, okay, this is my personal comment on this, but uh, they just read, I, I just found out they redid it because they have a new version of this. This is the newer version. They did this audiobook on this version. The old version, like I listened to that one a whole bunch of times. And when Don Whitney came here to speak, the author of this book, I didn't understand. I was like, that's not Don Whitney because Grover Gardner did the reading for it and he's awesome. So I actually prefer the old version. I'm not sure. Well, I haven't tried the new one, but the old one's really good. Um, but listening is obviously easier than reading, except for some of us, maybe they're here like the, the Britneys in the room, that maybe are better at reading than they are at listening. Um, but you can listen to it in a relatively short time if you do one and a half speed or two speed, something like that. Obviously, you can do that in a car. You know, just audiobooks are convenient anyway. But for something like this, I, I believe it's best to read it and then listen to it more than once after that, um, just as a good reminder. And this, this is not a single read book. In the foreword, J.I. Packer suggests reading it several times over with like a month or two in between, just to be reminded, to recommit, to find new disciplines you haven't added in yet, those kind of things. So just a, a great book. Now, I know, as I said, some of you were expecting this as soon as he said spiritual disciplines, and you probably were thinking, oh, here we go, spiritual disciplines again. Um, but, you know, the right to say that is really limited to those who have actually bought the book and have read it um, and don't need to hear me say that. Or the alternative option for not wanting to listen to that is that you've read the book and you think I'm hogwash and saying how great it is, in which case you're wrong. Because J.I. Packer, the elders, and a whole bunch of, and ACBC and everybody else agrees with me on this, okay? So, so you're wrong, so don't even go there. All right, just get the book. Uh, also, Discipline of Grace, Jerry Bridges. Of course, just about anything you read from Jerry Bridges is great. Um, I listened to this a long time ago. I remember I enjoyed it, but I did use a chapter uh, in this for this morning, and just great, great stuff. So, uh, And finally, if you have trouble managing your time in the first place to get to spiritual disciplines, this is a really good book, Do More Better, Tim Challies. Really short read, uh, just basic managing your time and tasks and all that kind of stuff. But that's a good reminder. Hopefully you guys are thinking about this at the beginning of the year because it's just a good time to do it, right? So anyway, uh, those are recommendations for this morning. Now, uh, this isn't the first time I have taught spiritual disciplines in this class. We talked about, we actually, I actually taught it in February last year. And um, that was actually a reteach of what I had done in college class not too long before that. And um, that was specifically on 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. So this is going to be uh, different in that we're going to look more broadly at the, at the disciplines. We're going to do a few Sundays on this. This morning is going to be mainly why spiritual disciplines are important and why we even do spiritual disciplines. What's the point at all? And as Peter you know, says to his readers, you know, we want to stir you up by way of reminder. You know, anytime we're going to be reminded of disciplines, particularly spiritual disciplines, that's a good thing. So uh, I, I don't have any problem with, with talking about this over and over again. Um, so this is almost an entirely different lesson than what we did in February. If you were here in February, we have so many new faces in the class that I don't know that too many of you were even here in February to maybe even hear that lesson. So um, 
Now, uh, before I get too far into this, I want to clarify that I am not a spiritual disciplines expert. Uh, I do not practice the disciplines uh, as faithfully as I would like to. I am not a spiritual disciplines perfectionist at all. In fact, part of my interest in teaching this is to get back to a state and more of what I've been in the past. In the past, I have spent more time and been more committed and more faithful to my spiritual disciplines, and I've slid from there. I mean, things changed in my life, and things got little different, and so it slid, and I need to get back to that. Now, it's not that I've dismissed spiritual disciplines altogether. It's just that I'm not nearly as faithful at, at doing these things as I have been in the past. So I am moving back in that direction. So this is, this is not a preaching to y'all. This is a uh, hopefully uh, inspiring, spurring and inspiring us all, okay? Uh, hopefully you'll get something uh, useful out of this and um, be fruitful from it. Now, um, I do want to say this lesson. I'm trying to fit in a lot of really good sort of nuggets here of things to consider about spiritual disciplines and about where you go and why doing them and those kind of things. And so I feel like there is a flow to this, but it might feel disjointed. See, if you have a pad, uh, pen and paper and you just want to write down the, the points that stick out, that's great, uh, or keep them in your mind or whatever you do to hold on to things, um, that's good. But hopefully this will, this will have a good flow and you guys will catch a lot out of it. Now, now, think, you know, starting this off, you know, whenever you're going to make improvements on something, you need to have a, uh, a basis to work from, right? You need to start somewhere. And so you need to consider where have you been? What, what has it looked like? So take stock of this past year and consider, and, and the few years before that, and consider, are you, would you consider yourself more godly now than you were years ago? Or would you consider yourself more spiritually disciplined now than you would a few years ago? And has that progressed on and on as you've, gone, as you've aged and as the years have gone by? Um, or have you slid? Have you gone downhill in, in these things? Um, and uh, have, you really, uh, have you never really even taken stock of specifically uh, trying to do the spiritual disciplines? Have you never intentionally focused on what are those spiritual disciplines and what do I need to implement in my life? And if you haven't done that, well, we're going to talk about, hopefully you'll be convicted as to why you need to do that. And also, as the weeks go on, we're going to talk about how to go about that. Now, uh, there's also the case that I suppose some of you may not have any idea what I'm talking about. Uh, So listen up if that's the case, right? Um, Now, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we are essentially referring to uh, developing new habits and uh, those actions that lead to spiritual maturity. That's what spiritual disciplines are. They're actions. They're things that we actually do. Um, However, developing habits apart from the right motivations and having the right heart and attention behind it is useless. This leads to behavior modification not heart transformation. It's just changing what we're doing, but there's nothing behind it. There's, no, there's not going to be, in, there, if there's no heart transformation or no goal towards that or no purpose in doing that, then all we're going to do is change our habits. That's all we're going to do. We're not, we're not going to gain what God would have for us in it. So there must be purpose behind developing the habits, but it also must be the right purpose. So having the purpose of having habits so you can check boxes and say, I'm the holy person that does all my spiritual disciplines, and look, I have a list to prove it. Uh, you know, th- that's not the right purpose. Uh, although, and Donald Whitney says, but, but just having discipline without a purpose behind it at all, this is Donald Whitney's famous quote, I think, discipline without direction is drudgery. 
So we all know what that's like. We have something that we have to do. We're being forced to do it in some way. We don't really feel like doing it, but it has to get done. So we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and it's drudgery. Well, spiritual discipline should never be that way. It should never be drudgery. And maybe you felt like that when you've done your spiritual discipline. Maybe you've had a, a list of things that you want to do that are spiritual disciplines or that you think that the church, that, that Chris would want you to do every morning or whatever it is. Uh, but if you didn't have the right motivation and the reason for doing it behind it, you are not going to continue and it's going to be a drudgery. Now, Don Whitney has an interesting story. This is a fictional story, okay? Uh, in uh, Don Whitney's book, and he's, he pretty much starts off with this story, and this is from this quote, Discipline Without Direction is Drudgery, and it's the story of Kevin, who is a eight-year-old or something, I can't remember how old he is, but he's like eight or ten or something, he's a little kid, and he's sitting in his living room, and he's strumming his guitar, learning how to play, doing his guitar lessons, and learning to play Home on the Range, while he's watching out the window, and all of his buddies are playing ball outside, and he's sitting there and that's drudgery, right? So he's just sitting there playing his guitar, and all of a sudden this angel comes to visit Kevin and says, Kevin, and just transports him away and takes him to Carnegie Hall and has this classical guitarist just playing this amazing music on this guitar. And Kevin's just like, that's incredible. And the angel takes him back to the room, back to the room where his guitar is sitting there, and he's got to get back to playing again. The angel says, that's you in a few years, but you have to practice. So it's a whole different mindset when he knows that's going to be him in a few years, that he's going to be, have a different mindset towards practicing that guitar so he can play in Carnegie Hall at some point. Well, he makes the analogy that you know, Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. In 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he ha appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. God is going to conform us to Christ ultimately. We are going to be glorified into the image of Christ um, when Jesus returns. But that doesn't mean we just wait. We are called to be holy as He is holy. We're called to conform to Christ's image now. And so that's what we are pushed to do by the Word. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I want to clarify, we're not, obviously we're not saved by our own holiness. But we are to pursue holiness because God commands it and we represent Him in the world as we come in contact with Him, as we influence the world around us. We represent Him and we are called to be like Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God has 
put it on us. He's given us the responsibility and accountability to shine Him to the world around us, to a wicked and perverse generation. So as in you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, the old things passed away, behold, new things have come. So as believers, being new creatures, we have new desires to please and honor Him that we didn't and we wouldn't have before as unbelievers. Now, Don Whitney says, The presence of the Holy Spirit causes all those in whom He resides to have new holy hungers they didn't have before. They hunger, for example, for the Holy Word of God, the Bible, that they used to find boring or irrelevant. They have new holy longings, such as the longing to live in a body without sin and to have a mind no longer tempted by sin. They yearn to live in a holy and perfect world with holy and perfect people and to see the, at last the one the angels perpetually praise is holy, holy, holy. These are some of the holy heartbeats in all those in whom the Holy Spirit resides. Consequently, when the Holy Spirit indwells someone, that person begins to prize and pursue holiness. Now, you know, the thing that comes to my mind is, do I prize and pursue holiness? And to what extent do I do that? Am I, is that my thought? Am I thinking I need to be holy? I want to be holy. I want to be like Christ. Well, if not, I need to cultivate that more. Some of us live in a confusing state of knowing that we should desire to be like Christ. We should desire holiness and, and to please God in all we do, knowing that we should not desire or conform to the world, but we feel stagnant and or stalled in conforming to Christ's image. So if you've taken stock of those last few years or last year and you think, I didn't move, the needle didn't go anywhere, I just stayed where I was at, I'm exactly the same Spiritual maturity now, or it feels like that anyway, I'm the exact same spiritual maturity now as I was a year ago or two years ago or whatever. If that's the case, what's the way out of that state? Actively pursuing godliness, actively pursuing Christ-likeness, and this is done by actively pursuing the spiritual disciplines. It's God's means for being, for maturing in godliness. Now, like anything else we want to do well or possibly be known for, you know, if we want to be known as an artist or as an engineer or an author or a softball star or whatever, it doesn't come, we, we know intuitively, right, that it doesn't come without working hard at that. Like anything else we seek to accomplish, it has to be intentional. If you want to, mar- want to run a marathon, you've got to go out and run and run and run. You got to do it over and over again, right? You're not going to run a marathon until you've worked up to being able to run a marathon. It has to be intentional. It has to be planned. We have to think it through. Again, God commands us to do His will, but the details are largely a matter of putting our brains and effort with the help of the Holy Spirit into making those things happen. So when we're thinking about the spiritual disciplines, thinking about growing in godliness, it needs to be intentional. We need to put thought to it, and we need to put meat on the bones of what God has told us to do. He's given us the command. We need to figure out how to make that happen. Whitney says, in my own pastoral and personal Christian experience, I can say that I've never known a man or woman who came to spiritual maturity except through discipline. Godliness comes through discipline. And that is bared out. If you read the Puritans, you read of godly men like Spurgeon and Edwards and Calvin and all these guys, they were spiritually disciplined people. 
They, they, they concentrated. It was, it was intentional for these guys. They did this in, in, for the purpose of growing a godliness, for the purpose of being able to influence others for Christ. They were disciplined people. And when I say disciplined, I mean spiritually disciplined people. The Christian life, you know, and this, this is all sounding like work by now, right? The Christian life is one of labor, work, toil, and pouring ourselves out. Those are basically taking Paul's words from these epistles. I labor, I work, I toil. Toil always sounds like sweating profusely to me. Uh, you know, pouring ourselves out, meaning just giving it all. That's how Paul explains what, how he ministered. 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, which is sort of the basis for Whitney's book, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself, which means that word discipline yourself, gymnasio, I think it is. It means essentially like you're working out in the gym. You're, you're working out to the point, and it's more like an athlete working to win. You're working so that you're ready to compete and strive to win for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then we see in Philippians 2, 12, second half of 12, and into verse 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we see lots of other verses about there about laboring in the Christian life. That's what it is. That's what we're called to do. Paul wrote to follow him as he followed Christ. But he also wrote that he labored to the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, and in Timothy. All of those epistles have statements by Paul saying that he labored for that church. And when he says he labored for that church, he's not just saying, I worked, I did my job. That's not what he's talking about. That is working to the point of exhaustion. He was working his buns off, essentially. He was working to the point of exhaustion all the time in working for and in the churches. Many people will be disciplined to do all kinds of stuff. As I said, running a marathon, playing an instrument, shooting hoops, golf, memorizing baseball or other sports stats, getting good at video, card, or board games. I hope somebody was convicted by something there. Um, but they think it should be easy to be godly, or they wonder why they aren't more godly since they're a believer. I'm a believer, so why aren't I godly? As if it should be easy, or as if it should come supernaturally, which... In a sense, it does, but it comes supernaturally by way of work and by way of the spiritual disciplines. God works supernaturally through those things to conform us to Christ and to make us godly. But the person who pours out the majority of his time and energy into training to excel still more, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, to do and being godly, do the things you're doing that are being godly. Do those, excel still more. You're excelling, just keep excelling more. Just keep doing more, right? But if the person who pours the majority of his time and energy into training to excel still more in playing soccer or the piano or studying to get great grades for the purpose of becoming a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, programmer, whatever, at the expense of investing in his growth and godliness, will eventually find himself like those who still need milk after being a believer for many years. They won't be ready for solid food. They're not going to be able, you know, it says that they should... That, by now, you should be teachers, but you're still needing milk. You just won't be growing. And relatively unable to lead or benefit anyone else spiritually. Now, this, you know, that when, you, when I say relatively unable to lead or benefit anyone else spiritually, you might think 
Chris or Ron or somebody's teaching or whatever, but or the biblical counselors in the church or something like that. But this is the danger from moms and dads. We must be able to lead spiritually. We, ha- we can only lead where we've been. We can only lead where we're going, what we're doing already. So if we're not doing those things, we can't lead our own kids along that path. So it's not a matter of, I don't get around to doing my spiritual disciplines and I'm not growing in godliness. You're accountable to, we're all accountable to lead our kids. And we're also accountable to be a blessing and an encouragement to our spouses in these things. So we don't have the option of not doing it. Now, we're going to get more into that in the coming weeks. But that person who who has misplaced priorities and is putting all that work into doing, excelling still more in things that don't matter, essentially. What's that, what's that quote? I'm not, I don't have a fear of failure. I have a fear of succeeding in things that don't matter. Uh, I can't, I've seen it attributed to Moody and other people, but yeah, I've seen it attributed to Carrie, Moody, and some guy who wrote a children's book or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I looked it up last time and I can't remember what it was. Um, but that person is not only going to find himself not growing, he's going to find himself sinning because he has not been trained to resist temptation and live godly. So it's not just a matter of living godly. It's a matter of staying where we're at and finding ourselves sinning, finding ourselves displeasing God, not staying stagnant. Hebrews 5.14, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, practice here... You take that word, and you basically can translate that habits, okay? It says, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Train is the same word as discipline in 1 Timothy. So working to the point of competing, striving to be strong and able to compete. So essentially, we can rephrase that as solid foods for the mature who, because they have developed habits, have their senses worked out and exercised and ready to discern good and evil. So that's what comes out of doing the spiritual disciplines and being committed to it. Hebrews 12, 11, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now when it's talking about, when Hebrews 12 is talking about discipline, it's talking about the Lord's discipline on us. And of course, this type of discipline, he mentions fathers disciplining their children in that same context. But so we could think about being disciplined by somebody else, and disciplined by the government, disciplined by our boss, disciplined by our parents, whatever, you know, the church, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, so we can think of those kind of disciplined situations, but when you translate that into you can either be disciplined by somebody else or if you are self-disciplined, if you are being disciplined on your own, you won't get to that point where you're disciplined by somebody else, right? Okay. Um, Conviction over here. <laughs> um, lost my place. Um, so it says, train. So yet to those who have been trained by it, that's that same word again, exercise, worked out, ready to compete. So should we stop doing all those other things like pursuing being good at our work or being good at playing piano or whatever those things? Um, no, we don't need to stop doing all those things. We, we just need... Don't need to stop them completely. Um, They just need to be done to God's glory. But in order to do that, that's going to require being intentional, contemplating 
and evaluating those things and actually considering how to glorify God in doing all those things. And it may be as we consider those things that we think that's not, there's no way I can figure out how to glorify God in that thing I'm doing. And in that case, we need to drop it. On the other hand, maybe some way you say, I'm definitely going to be glorifying God in this situation because of these ways. But we need to be evaluating it. If we don't evaluate it, we could be falling into doing, wasting a lot of time and energy and resources in the things that are not pleasing to God. These are the considerations that are made rightly when spiritual disciplines are the priority. When we're regularly intaking and meditating on God's Word, memorizing pertinent passages to what's going on in our life and in prayer, isn't that going to make us think more in line with what God would have us to do? We're not going to think godly unless we're reading God's Word. Unless we're intaking what God has to say, we're not going to be thinking God's thoughts in what we do. We're not going to be changing our own view if we're not taking in God's Word. Now, on the other hand, if you don't consider yourself to be a disciplined person at all, so you're not disciplined in doing any of those other things and excelling still more in those areas, and you're not pursuing the spiritual disciplines either, you're not, so you, you're starting flat. You need to start doing something, right? You, you know, you see yourself as being generally undisciplined or not very disciplined. Well, the spiritual disciplines are the place to start becoming a disciplined person. And the reason why is because we're commanded to glorify God in all things. So therefore, the first priority is being disciplined in that area. So if you're disciplined in all these other areas and you need to reconsider and get focused on spiritual disciplines, that's one thing. But if you're flat and you haven't been disciplined at all, well, the place to start is with the priority, is becoming spiritually disciplined. And those disciplines, developing the spiritual disciplines, once you develop those disciplines in that area, then that person is going to be much more able to use those habits and skills that they learned and that commitment and discipline that they learned to do in spiritual disciplines to apply in other areas of being disciplined. Which, if you're spiritually disciplined and you're fitting, you're making sure to fit the priority of spiritual disciplines into your schedule, you're going to have to become more disciplined in order to do everything else in your life. It's just going to happen. That's just the way it is. Now, just a short clarification here. Spiritual disciplines are activities, this is Don Whitney, are activities, not attitudes. Disciplines are things you do, such as read, meditate, pray, fast, worship, serve, learn, and so on. And we're going to get into some of those in the next couple of weeks. But just clarifying that this isn't just changing your attitude. This is actually doing things. Though the disciplines are actions and ideally habits that we do, it's not the doing it's not doing them that's the point. Becoming is the point. That's the goal, right? That's, that's the, save, the Savior from drudgery is the goal of becoming godly and like Christ, pleasing God, useful to the body, spiritually useful to our spouses and our children. So where do we find these spiritual disciplines? What, where do these come from? Well, Whitney says the spiritual disciplines found in Scripture are sufficient for knowing and experiencing God and growing in Christ's likeness. If we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So everything 
that we need, if, if you want to come up with spiritual disciplines outside of that, they're not necessary. We're going to find what's necessary in the Word. So the person who says, I grow in my godliness when I do gardening, that's, that doesn't fly, okay? <laughs> it's not in Scripture. <laughs> I, I, I am closer to God when I'm in the mountains hiking on Sunday morning. No, it doesn't work. It's not the way it works. We have to do what God says in His Word. While we cannot be godly without the practice of the disciplines, we can practice the disciplines without being godly if we see them as ends and not, not means. That's Whitney again. So in other words, we can, be, we can do spiritual disciplines and not grow in godliness if we're not doing it with the right heart and purpose behind it. We can read our Bible and check that box and completely forget what we read two minutes later. But if we have the right heart behind it, where we want to learn from God's Word, and we're paying attention to what we're reading, and thinking about how these things apply to our lives, we're going to talk about meditating on God's Word in the coming weeks, but if we're taking what His Word says and considering it as we read it, rather than just forgetting about it and checking the box, then we're going to grow. If not, um, we're, we're not going to grow in godliness, just checking the boxes. Now, checking the boxes. I hear people say that in saying, I, you know, I don't want to get in a pattern of just reading through my Bible or whatever, or reading through the Bible in a year, or whatever it is they do, and they get in a habit of just checking the box, I did that, and I move on with my day, or taking five minutes in prayer, or whatever it is, and having it. Now, that, if you're just doing it that way, that's not good. But having the boxes to check, that is a good thing. Because if we have purposed to keep ourselves accountable to what we have determined is best for us to do based on God's Word and in the purpose of pleasing God and in the purpose of becoming godly and the purpose of conforming to the image of Christ, if we've made those checkboxes for that purpose and we continue to do them with the heart behind it, then checking the boxes is good. We want to, we want to be consistent. And I would recommend, this. we'll get more on this later, but I would recommend having something that you're checking off so you can see it. Because if you don't see it, it's really easy for just to just forget about it. I forgot to do it this morning. I forgot to do it next morning. I'm done. You know, whatever. It's easy to slide off if we don't do it, if we don't track what we're doing. Now, if we make a list of commitments, goals, or resolutions, and when I say resolutions, I mean as in like Jonathan Edwards type, type resolutions, okay? Not New Year's resolutions, um, which statistically... New Year's resolutions are abandoned 80% of the time and usually by the middle of February, okay? In fact, now they have a holiday. January 17th this year is ditch your New Year's resolutions day. So it's when you decided you're not going to do these. It's only the 17th of January. I'm out. And they made a holiday so you feel good about it. You can eat cake or something. I don't know. Anyway, so if you make a list of commitments, goals, resolutions, disciplines, habits you want to develop, there must be purpose behind them. If we haven't first considered the purpose, there's no point in making the commitment at all. So there's no point in even making these commitments unless you've thought about a purpose. It's almost coming up with the goal and coming up with what God would have you to do and then backtracking to make the habits and to make the list, right? The check boxes. Of course, godliness as a first priority is necessary. However, if we haven't taken godliness into consideration, we're already off the mark. So if, you, if you're making these goals and you haven't even taken godliness into consideration, you're, you're done. 
Greg Gifford says, our progressive sanctification typically looks like one day at a time we are growing and meditating on the Word, and now before long, we begin to think like God according to His Word. So as we are daily taking in His Word, and I think if we're actually paying attention to the Word and we're actually studying it, we may not be memorizing it, but if you're constantly reading it, you're going to be thinking God's thoughts after Him. And when things come up, you're going to be like, oh, the Scripture says that. And you're going to be able to apply it much more readily. Now, ultimately, maturity and change is up to the Lord by working, uh, by the working of the Holy Spirit in and through the spiritual disciplines. So we can do the disciplines, but without God working in that, and without God working in and through those disciplines to us, it's not going to make a difference. Remember Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We work... But God is at work to actually bring about His purposes. He tells us, work out your salvation. But then He immediately says, for his God, God is working out His will and for His purpose and His pleasure. So practicing the disciplines apart from relying on God to bring about change is futile. Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. Now, Jerry Bridges in The Discipline of Grace, he uses the example of an airplane, and he says an airplane can't fly with just one wing. You have to have two. You can't, well, a normal airplane can't fly. <laughs> a 747 cannot fly with uh, just one wing. It has to have two wings. You can't get aloft at all without both wings. And he likens this to the disciplines and dependence on God. The disciplines alone will not bring maturity. A person can do all the disciplines with the wrong heart and only become a Pharisee. A person who only depends, so the person who's only depending on God but is not applying the spiritual disciplines, is not working out God's Word in his life, the person who only depends but does not practice, like, like letting go and letting God, right? I don't do anything. I let God do it all, is not using the means God has given and commanded to grow in maturity. So God does work, and it's not going to happen without God. But He has given us the means of the disciplines in order, for these, in order for our growth to happen. God enables us to work, but He does not do the work for us, Jerry Bridges says. Now, if you'd like to take up a challenge or maybe just be humbled in recognizing our weakness in resolutions and disciplines, I would say take a read through Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions. Yes, 70 resolutions uh, that he wrote when he was 19 years old. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Um, Jerry Bridges said, Edwards' resolutions would make most of our present-day disciplines look like spiritual kindergarten. And I'm going to put a link to those on Desiring God on the uh, class resources so you can take a look at them. But Edwards starts his resolutions, like before he even starts listing them out, this is, what he, this is like his, his statement to start it off. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. So Edwards makes 70 resolutions to be more godly in his life, and he starts it off by the, by the statement, essentially, or the commitment to the understanding that unless God's in it, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. And he's not even going to be able to stick to them unless God enables him to do so. Paul used the example of farming, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then 
neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, this is, this is from uh, Jerry Bridges also. So farmers can and must, they must do these things and they can do these things. Plow, plant, fertilize, irrigate, cultivate, and harvest. Farmers can't do these things, but God does these things, makes grow, and controls the weather. So there's six things that the farmer is, can do, and those are things that he must do. He can't just not do them. He has to do them as a farmer, otherwise nothing's going to happen. But there are only two things that, God is, that are on God's list, so to speak. However, the point of farming is to make things grow. What God does isn't going to happen no matter what the farmer does, if God doesn't cause it to come about. So regularly ask, and this is just sort of a blanket statement, I guess, but am I stewarding my time, energy, and resources to pursue godliness by way of spiritual disciplines as a priority or using time, energy, and resources to pursue selfish and or worldly pursuits as a priority? Consider which comes first in your real actions. If someone examined your life objectively, so somebody comes from the outside, they look at your life, would they come to the conclusion that pleasing God and being like Christ is your priority or something else? And, you know, it's a pretty easy evaluation. I think we can look at our life objectively enough to say, <laughs> if somebody looked at what I do, they wouldn't immediately know that I'm a believer. Possibly. I read recently, um, or more likely heard someone else read, because I listen to audiobooks and I don't remember what it was, uh, but an author made the point that the word priority has actually been redefined in our culture. Uh, it used to be a priority was a singular thing. You had a priority, right? This is my priority. This is my most important thing. Now it's been redefined to mean one of a list of other important things. So we say my priorities. Well, that didn't used to be a thing. There didn't used to be priorities. There used to only be a priority. So thinking through, you know, is godliness one of my priorities or is it my priority? The one thing that I do that's most important. So be intentional. So much is not done because we haven't thought it through and planned for it. Remember, we will do what is important to us. We always have time and energy for what we value. Remember, people, remember what I said, our kids can tell what's important to us by what we spend our money and our time on. Whatever we're putting our time and energy in, that's what we value. That's what's important to us. So 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, just as a sort of reminder, um, as this will probably be our basis for what we talk about. But, but I have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, which essentially means don't be distracted by all the junk in the world you don't need. On the other hand, discipline yourself, like working out in the gym, for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise of the present life and also for the life to come. The language of 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness is not a suggestion. It's not suggestive. It's imperative. It's a command. Being disciplined for the purpose of godliness is not optional. So we think about this. We're like, I haven't, I haven't applied spiritual disciplines in my life, and I'm not really sure how committed I want to be to this. <laughs> it's like, we don't have that option. We are commanded to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We have to do it. Being godly is not optional. God said, be holy as I am holy. We're commanded to be set apart from the world, consecrated to God, shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word that you are so 
um, specific, that you are so direct as to tell us exactly what we need to do to please you, that you have made your will known to us, that you have uh, revealed your character and yourself to us, um, and then you have revealed to us the means by which we can be godly and we can be Christ-like. And I pray that you would give us hearts to do that in this new year, that you would enable us to think through our our priority and what that is, that you would enable us to um, consider how to fit all these things into our day, uh, but starting with pleasing you. And I pray that you would help us to uh, be wise and be discerning as we do that uh, going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.